What a nice introduction from Sarah this morning. It's good to be with all of you. If you could open your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 23. I believe it's on page 574 if you're looking at the pew Bibles that are are blue and white. read this account that happens in verse 32 of Luke 23. And let me give you a little background just because we're jumping right into the middle of a story here. And where we are in the story of the life of Jesus is that Jesus is hanging on a cross at this moment where we're going to pick up the story. If you remember, he's, he, he's been proclaimed as the Son of God. He's the Savior of the world. He came and he taught and he loved and he healed, and he performed miracles, and for all of that, he was falsely accused and arrested and beaten and taken to the cross, where he was nailed to the cross, and he's hanging there about to die. And this is where we pick up this story that you've probably heard before, but I pray that God will speak to us through it today. Verse 32 of Luke 23 says this, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him and when they came to the place that is called the skull there they crucified him and the criminals one on his right and one on his left and Jesus said father forgive them for they know not what they do and they cast lots to divide his garments and the people stood by watching But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who was hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we're receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for our time together. We pray that you would be present with us, that you would speak to us and strengthen us today and do more than we could even ask or imagine at this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If I were to ask you, and you don't need to answer out loud, if I were to ask you, what do you think the world's most famous hymn is a hymn that's sung in churches you you might answer great is thy faithfulness you might answer it is well but i imagine that many of you would say amazing grace i can't prove it but i think amazing grace is probably the most famous hymn that there is you may know the words amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me i once was lost but now i'm found was blind 
but now I see. Those words were penned in 1779 by John Newton, who was a former Trave Slater, who was rescued from his sins and radically began to radically follow Jesus. He became a pastor and a hymn writer. According to Google, which has the answer to all things, it's one of the most recognizable songs in the English-speaking world. It's estimated that that hymn is sung over 10 million times in churches each year, and it's probably not only the, the most recorded hymn, but the most recorded song of all time. It's been recorded by every artist you can imagine. Joan Baez, Aretha Franklin, Rod Stewart. Yes, the Rod Stewart with the tight leather pants back when I was a kid. Johnny Cash, Elvis Presley, The Birds, Willie Nelson, punk band called the Dropkick Murphys, and Chris Tomlin, and the list goes on and on and on. Singer and activist Judy Collins was a staunch objector to the Vietnam War. She said this, I didn't know what else to do about the war in Vietnam. I had marched, I had voted, I had gone to jail for political actions, and I worked for candidates that I believed in, and the war was still raging. And, and here's what she said, there was nothing left to do, I thought, and you wonder what's going to come after that. Nothing left to do, I thought, but sing Amazing Grace. And so she sang Amazing Grace. She recorded Amazing Grace and unexpectedly began to climb up the Billboard charts. It eventually reached number 15 on the Billboard charts right in the heart of the Vietnam War, 200 years after it was written by John Newton. Amazing Grace was sung at Woodstock. It was sung on The Simpsons, apparently. And in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, if I said to you, blank grace, it's likely that you would answer, amazing grace. The question I want to ask us today is, how amazing is grace to you? In your life, when you think about the grace of God, how do you think of it? How amazing is the grace that you believe in? Because I, I, I think there are times that we, even as Christians, or as, as even if you're not a Christian, when you think about the grace of God, we can sometimes shrink it down to something that's less amazing. And I think the person in Scripture that helps us to see how amazing God's grace is, is the man that we just read about a minute ago. He's a criminal. He's hanging on a cross next to Jesus. He's not even given a name, but there he is next to Jesus on the cross. So let's, let's understand his story. Let's look at what do we know about this guy. We don't know much. We don't know his name. We don't know his family. We don't know the exact nature of his crimes. All we know that I can, that I can figure out from this story is three things, and let's, let's talk about those for a minute. The first is this. He's a criminal. He's a criminal. What kind of criminal? We don't exactly know, but we can surmise some things about this. He's the kind of man who has committed crimes that are severe enough or repetitive enough to be put to death on a cross because of his sins. He's not a petty thief. He hasn't just broken probation. He has done some things that have warranted him the death penalty. Matthew and Mark, who also talk about this story, use a slightly different word than criminal, which is what Luke uses. They use the word robber. But it's the kind of robber, that word as it's translated, is typically the kind of one that, that steals but also uses violence to do so. Jesus uses the word in a, in a parable you're probably familiar with, the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
And if you remember the story, a man is traveling through a dangerous areas and robbers, same word, come out and attack the man and they don't just steal his wallet and run. They take clubs and they beat him. They strip him naked. They take everything he has and they leave him for dead. It's a violent kind of crime until the good Samaritan comes along and rescues him. So this man who's hanging next to Jesus on a cross has been a serious offender, possibly a serial offender, and it just so happens that when the day for his capital punishment to arrive, he and his buddy are being crucified for their crimes right next to the Savior of the world. The second thing we know about this guy is he's about to die. Now, that's kind of a no-brainer if you read the story. It's not too hard to figure out. He's not on death row. He's, he's not hoping for a stay of execution from the governor. He is nailed to the means of his execution, and he is within minutes or maybe an hour or more of dying, which means this. All the life that he's going to live has already been lived. If you looked at a timeline of his life from birth to death, and you saw birth, and then early childhood, and then elementary school, and middle school, high school, career, whatever, whatever his life was like, no matter how many years, he is at the far end over here. He has lived all the life that he's going to live, which means something. It means that all of his chances to do something good are behind him. It's too late for him to sober up. It's too late to change his life. It's too late to leave a legacy. It's too late to become a better dad. It's too late to make amends to the people that he has hurt. It's too late to pay back restitution. It's too late to do anything good with his life. He can't say, Jesus, look at all the bad I've done, but I promise I'll do a lot of good to make up for it so that you could please accept me into heaven. He's lived all the life that he's going to live. The third thing we know about him is that he's mocking Jesus. Now, as I read the story, you might argue with me about the story, and if all we had was the book of Luke, you would be right. It kind of seems like there's Jesus in the middle, there's one on his right, one on his left, one who, this one over here, who is mocking Jesus, the other one in the middle of it says, hey, stop mocking Jesus, we're receiving what we deserve here, but this man has done nothing wrong. And that is part of the story. But if you know the gospel writers, there are four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they don't tell us a different gospel. They tell us the same gospel, the same good news, the same life and death and resurrection of Jesus, but from four different perspectives, just like four of us would. If we were writing about somebody's life, we would pick and choose different things to focus on. You can't capture everything that was done, every word that was spoken, or, or the book would be way too long for anyone to ever read. And so Matthew and Mark both record this same story. They both talk about the same events, one on the right, one on the left. Uh, again, they call them robbers instead of criminals. Same, same idea. They speak about the reviling, the mocking, that the people walking by mocked him. The, the scribes and the religious leaders, they mocked him. The, um, the guards that were, that were watching over his execution, they mocked him. But they add this detail. And the robbers, plural, who were crucified with him, 
also reviled him in the same way. So what does that mean? Is Mark wrong and Luke right? No, I think the only way it makes sense to me, and and maybe you have a different way this makes sense, the only way it makes sense to me is if we understand that Jesus was on the cross for about three hours before he died. And at the beginning of his time, there were people walking by and they're saying, you saved others, if you're really the Christ, come down from there. And there were, there were uh, other people that mocked and they derided Jesus and they shook their heads at him. And at the same time, both criminals on the cross, also in their anger, in their bitterness, in their dying moments, in their pain and their agony, they looked at Jesus and they mocked him as well. And then at some point during those three hours, one of their eyes were opened to the reality that, wait a minute, this man's different. He's different. And he cries out to Jesus minutes, an hour, an hour and a half, we don't know, before he died. And he makes a faith statement and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So what happened? How did that happen, that that a criminal right before death comes to faith in Christ after originally mocking Jesus on the cross? We don't know. But one of the things I love to do with the gospel stories is try to enter into them through asking questions of the imagination. I wonder, how could that have happened? What might have prompted this man to turn to faith in the hour of his death? And I can think of a few things. Let me throw them out there. You may think of other things as well. Sometimes impending death causes us to think about things we've not thought about before. Maybe as this man started to realize, and he even said it out loud, we're being punished justly. I deserve what I'm getting. I've lived a horrible life. Look at the people I've hurt. And and he started to think about not only that, but he started to think about eternity that's coming quickly to him. And he starts to wonder, what's going to happen to me after I pass? And that brought him to ask some questions he had never asked before. Maybe as a Jewish man being brought up as a Jewish boy, his parents took him to synagogue, took him to church, took him to Sunday school. And maybe in Sunday school, there was a faithful teacher in there who taught him, even though he didn't believe it at the time, who taught him that God loves us so much that he's going to send his son for us. And his son isn't going to be, he's going to be a king, he's going to bring in a kingdom, but he's not going to bring it in with military power and might. He's going to be a suffering servant. And maybe she read to him Isaiah 53, which says this, Surely, it's prophesying about the coming Messiah. Surely he has borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows. Yet, at the same time, we esteemed him smitten, stricken by God and afflicted. In other words, when he comes as the suffering servant, people are going to think that he's cursed of God, but actually he's the son of God. 
Isaiah 53 goes on to say he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, the the punishment that brought us peace. By his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. And maybe, maybe this criminal started to realize, man, that's me. I've gone so astray. I've turned to my own way as, as my Sunday school teacher told me. Isaiah 53 told me that all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned to our own way. But the Lord has laid our iniquity upon Jesus. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he, not, he didn't open his mouth like a sheep that was led to the slaughter is silent he didn't open his mouth and maybe as he stood there stood there as he as he hung there on the cross hearing people mock and revile and probably curses coming out of his mouth in his pain in his um, anger before he dies he started to realize look at Jesus right next to me he's doing none of that he's not complaining he's not arguing He's not saying how unjust this is, even though it was completely unjust what was happening to him. Instead, the only words coming out of Jesus' mouth that we read just a moment ago are, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We don't know exactly what it was, but we do know that at some point in his final moments, this criminal, who hadn't earned anything with God, turned to Jesus and basically said to him, I believe you are the coming king. I believe you are the savior of the world. I believe you are the son of God. So much so that I know, Jesus, you're about to die. But he says to him, when you come into your kingdom, nobody talks like that to another human. You're about to die. Hey, when you come into your kingdom, will you remember me? He realizes Jesus is the savior, the son of God, the king of the universe. And he says, when you come into your kingdom, will you please remember me? Before we finish the story, let me just ask you to pause and ask yourself, how amazing is grace does this guy deserve salvation no no how do we even know his confession is real see if grace is only kind of amazing or grace is the kind of thing like you live a good life and then you got to add a little bit of jesus's grace and that kind of tips you over the top it's like um what do they call that in school with a um judged by the, uh, grade by the curve or something. Like you do pretty well, and then the curve comes in and kind of puts you over the top and gives you a big enough grade to be able, able to enter into heaven. This guy's got no chance of that. If, if grace were ordinary or grace were just a little extra that we need, Jesus' answer might have been different. He might have said, oh, brother, if you would have just come to me earlier in your life, If only you had more time to prove your sincerity. Because it's kind of hard to tell, is this real in your heart or is it not? If only you would have turned away from your criminal life when your parents urged you to. If only you have hit rock bottom a little bit earlier. If only you wouldn't have been mocking me just a few moments ago. 
If only you wouldn't have wasted all of your God-given potential. Or only if we had time to let you live a little while to see if you're truly repentant and you're going to change and start to do some of the uh, acts of discipleship that I'm asking you to do. If only you had time to learn more, join the church, get baptized, etc., etc., etc. But Jesus doesn't say any of those things. Jesus says, truly, truly. In other words, I tell you the truth. This is the God's honest truth here today. Matter of fact, maybe just in three minutes, you'll be with me in paradise. Soon after that, criminal dies, and so does Jesus. And Jesus escorted him into the presence of God, the Father Almighty. And he was welcomed and accepted and loved and adopted. And you wonder, how can that be? Is that fair? Is that right? Is it possible? It's only possible if God's grace for us is miraculously amazing. Grace is undeserved favor from God. Grace is, some people like to to make it an acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. Christ was paying the price for his forgiveness, for him to be able to reserve grace. Grace is something you can't earn. Grace is a gift you don't deserve. It's completely granted on the basis of what Christ did for you, not what you have done for yourself. The criminal hanging on the cross wasn't going to make it because of karma or because of you reap what you sow. He was only going to make it by amazing grace. Paul writes about that in Ephesians chapter 2. He talks about all Christians. This isn't just the, the criminal on the cross. This is all Christians. All people were once dead in their trespasses and sins, following the ways of the world. You see it in his life, right? Following the ways of the world, and not only the ways of the world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. We are, we are led away by our own desires. We're led away by the ways of the world, and we're led away by the tempter of our souls, who is Satan. But Paul provides a pretty hopeless, helpless situation there, except, but he says this, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, what did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. And I love how this connects to our verse. We, they, they were dead spiritually, he was dead, but physically he died with Christ and God made him alive together with Christ. And then Paul says, By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then later he says, By grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not even your own doing. It's a gift of God, not the result of our works, so that none of us can boast. How amazing is grace that God could look upon this man or any of us in here and our only work is to put our faith in Christ and say, I believe 
you're the son of God. I believe you're the savior of the world. I believe that I have sinned and fall short of your glory and I need you. And we call out to him in faith and surrender ourselves to him and then he raises us up with him. So let me just, let me just close with, with a couple of potential application points. Can't hit on all the application points and just trust that the spirit of God speaks to you through his words. But, but let me just say a couple of things before I finish here. The, the first two, if you're not yet a Christian, and maybe you're listening at home or maybe you're, you're here in this place and you're exploring Christianity or you're not sure where you stand, you're not sure what happens to you after you die, let, let me say two things to you if I could. Number one is don't think you need to clean yourself up before you come to Christ. Too, too many people think that. They think, well, you know what? My life is a mess. I got to kind of stop some bad habits and pick up some new habits and then maybe I can start going to church and then maybe I can turn my life over to God. No, the whole point of it is we can't. We can't do enough good. We need the amazing grace of God and all he wants us to do is right there in our condition, just like this criminal on the cross, right there in our condition, just say, Jesus, I need you. So please don't feel like you have to clean yourself up first. Then after coming to faith in Christ, he begins to change. He gives you the power to start to want the things he wants, to start to turn away from the things he wants you to turn away from. But the first step is a step of faith where you're asking for the complete amazing grace of God. The other thing, if, if you're not yet a Christian, let me urge you to don't wait till you're dying to decide about Christ. Charles Spurgeon, uh, 150, 170 years ago, however long it was, said this, there's a sermon the devil would like to preach from this passage. I love the way he says that. And that sermon is this, hey, this guy waited till the very last moments of your life. You should do so too. Enjoy all that you want to enjoy. Keep doing your own thing. Follow your own ways. Live like that. And then right before death, just throw up a prayer to God. Boom, you're saved. It's all good. That's not the meaning of this passage for lots of reasons. Number one is not everybody gets an opportunity before they pass. So many of us will, will pass on to eternity instantly without warning, without time. I talked about this, uh, Sarah mentioned I'm a chaplain at the jail. We were talking about this passage recently and we were on this point here and, and so many of them could relate to the story because so many of them had friends of theirs die of drug overdoses. And when that happens, you, you don't have time to think, pray. And so that's one reason to, to turn to Christ today while he's calling you. The other reason is if I could bring in a guest speaker today and his name was whatever this guy's name was on the cross, I think the Catholic Church, um, oh, what, they have a name for him. Um, I forget what it is now. We'll, 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 call him, we'll call him Abraham. Good Jewish name, right? So we'll bring Abraham back from the dead to be, the, to be a guest speaker, a testimony giver today. What he would say to you today is, oh, don't do what I did. Don't 
spend your whole life running from God and at the last moment turn to him, he would tell us, heaven is so awesome, God is so good, Jesus has been so kind to me, please don't ruin your life, don't live with all those regrets, turn to Christ as soon as possible so that you have the benefit of living the rest of your life with him and for him and he'll, he'll make your life better than you could imagine. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy, it's not easy being a Christian. It's sometimes excruciatingly difficult to be a Christian, but you have his presence, you have his strength, you have his power, and he'll be with you. Two points for those of us who are Christians today, and then we're going to wrap up and sing. One is this, if, if you're a Christian, you've received God's amazing grace, I don't know how else to say it, but, but can I encourage you just after hearing this to just take a deep breath? Breathe in the grace of God. Remember the grace of God. Sometimes we can come to faith in Jesus and then get, get on this, this um, treadmill of, of we got to do this, we got to do that, we got to do this, we got to do this. And, and we forget the grace of God that we're accepted, not based on our works, but because of the love and the mercy of God. Just drink in his love on a regular basis. Drink in his acceptance of you. Work, do your work from the standpoint of I'm already accepted, I'm already adopted, I'm already loved, I already have a place reserved for me in heaven. And then lastly, let me encourage you to let this story speak to you. Don't give up on people. Is there somebody in your life where the trajectory of their life is not trending towards Jesus? I've got people. You probably have them too. And sometimes it's easy to write people off. I don't know who this man had in his life that was still praying for him. Probably had people like that. But he also had some people he had hurt. He had a reputation in the community. He, he would have been looked down on. And it's easy to write people off and say, well, that person, they're never going to come to faith in Christ. Let this story speak to us that God's grace is so powerful he can draw anyone, anytime, anywhere. And let's continue to, to walk in faith and continue to reach out and to share Christ with those he puts around us. Let me close in prayer. God, I thank you for our time together today. Much more importantly, I thank you for this account that's in Scripture to speak so many things to us. And God, I pray that you would, you would use it to speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.